0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your
1: relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm Ken Hellenius, and sitting across from me in the virtual studio is the man about whom R.E.M. was not singing when they sang Losing My Religion, my friend Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. <laughs> That's me in the spot. losing my religion. How you doing, Ken? Uh,
0: R.E.M., yeah. whatever happened to them? I mean, they kind of fell off the face of the earth or something. I never hear anything about them anymore.
1: I honestly don't know. The the last time I thought about R.E.M. was uh, when Notre Dame played Georgia last year, and we had a bunch of what I assume were all R.E.M. fans wandering around town here uh, all over campus. But uh, I assume they were all R.E.M. fans. All I know is that uh, Notre Dame lost that game, sadly. But Georgia did go on to win the championship. So it wasn't so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <It> was,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was, I am huge when I was at ND, oh you know, my gosh, Superman and all those other songs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. They're very popular and back then. That was one of the first CDs that we ever purchased. When we got a CD player at our house, we got two CDs, REM's out of time and Gustav Holst, the planets. Oh, wow. Interesting. So we went both classical and, uh, and the popular music. Oh, and, and, uh, Clint Black, by the way, we got us some country and Western music as well, because that's the kind of music I really like. <laughs> awesome, and I man. know we've talked about it before. You're not a country man.
0: No, you know, I I do consider myself an appreciator of music. You know, I, I'm a musician myself and I, I play fairly often at home, you know, when I'm not traveling and, and yeah. uh, I love downloading tab, you know, guitar tablature and learning new songs and stuff. And and, uh, but country, I just, I don't know. I just could not get into that.
1: Not your scene. I don't know. I, I, I was raised on both kinds of music, country and western, as we say. I love this stuff. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that actually producer John is going to lay this entire show with kind of a, a, a bluegrass track the whole time. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> right, we're going to see if they, we can make that happen. <laughs> Get some rights, I'm sure, but we'll see what we can do. Uh, that's funny. Well, Deacon, we are we have been discussing for the last uh number of weeks the landmark watershed document uh 1968's papal encyclical *Humane Vitae uh, by uh St. Uh, Saint Paul the Sixth, I think I can call him that. We know he's canonized, uh, and so um, we've been discussing particularly uh, last week. We got to really the core paragraph of the document, which was uh, on on uh, recourse to lawful methods, as he calls it, and then. Um, we began a discussion about paragraph 17. So that's what we're going to pick up tonight. And paragraph 17 is the, uh, on what he calls the consequences of artificial methods. Uh, and we began to talk at the very end of last week's show about how artificial birth control, as as Paul says, will open wide the way for marital infidelity and a general lowering of moral standards. And I think uh, this is a fruitful thing for us to begin to think about is how does uh, Paul the Sixth's vision and his prophecy? How has it come to to uh, fruition in the uh, in the intervening fifty years since this document came out?
0: Yeah, you know, in, in, as you mentioned uh, at the end of the, the, the last show, uh, we ta- he talks about the contraceptive methods may forget the reverence due to a woman, and when we talked about Mulieris dignitatem we talked about how when god created woman he didn't create her he didn't create her second he created her last you know so so in genesis 1 there's all the animals and then male and female he created them then in genesis 2 there's the man there's all the animals and then her again not second but last because mm-hmm. as i mentioned there god saves his best work for last you know? Yeah, yeah. And in Genesis three fifteen, how he lays the foundation in that proto evangelium, that first gospel, put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Again, foreshadowing the Blessed Virgin Mary. Women have a, a, an incredible role in, salvation, in, the, in God's plan for salvation history. And because God himself chose to be born of a woman, born under the law, as Paul says, as Catholics, we show incredible honor and respect for the Blessed Virgin Mary because who she mm-hmm. is and her and her role in, in, in helping to literally bring about salvation through her womb uh, and through her gift of womanhood and her gift of her femininity, you know, and the, how that sense is going to be lost because of the proliferation of, of contraception. Uh, and, and he talks about, again, she becoming a mere instrument for the satisfaction of a man's own desires. And I mean, my goodness, when you look at, pornography when you look a billion dollar industry, when you look at human trafficking and prostitution, billion dollar industries in some places yeah. where pro- prostitution is legal, you know, yeah. um, and, yeah. and human trafficking, you know, and all these three things are tied
1: together. And in some ways they they get celebrated, not just legal, yeah. but they're actually, people are proud of this. I mean, certainly we could think of, you know, there's, there's pornography industry awards. You know, they have an awards show each year. I mean, come on, really?
0: Yeah. See, I think people need to appreciate that, wow, yeah. human trafficking is horrible. It's terrible. But how pornography uh, feeds into that. You know, and the fact that and prostitution is just—I think—is so sad that a woman becomes an object for pleasure and gratification. You know, her our, our femininity is reduced to to uh, just her physicality, the pleasure she's able to provide uh, for for a few minutes. You know, and and being paid for that. You know, it just—it's just, it's just um, treating her like a commodity. You know, just right. like an asset instead of seeing the full. Uh, humanity as god created her and and that beauty that comes through that and again contraception is the precipitator for all of this uh moral degradation uh and the acceleration of it that we see in our culture now could have this stuff come around without contraception it sure but i I don't think not in the way that it has and i think contraception was pretty pretty much under undermined and uh, accelerated all of this that we're seeing in our culture today.
1: Yeah, because contraception at its core separates out the, the fullness of communion from the physical act. Because this is, as we mentioned last week, you know, things like the barrier method, as well as the pill and hormonal contraception. What they do is they mean they, they separate out the act of co creation with the Lord. From the physical act of love, and therefore, once that happens, you basically remove consequences from uh, from physical lovemaking. Um, When you remove the consequences, then it doesn't matter where you know how this, this these bodily parts are being used, because we're just using them for pleasure and not for the fullness of their meaning. And so that's where that that disconnect really begins. Exactly,
0: and you know, and what's tragic that he brings up next is that this goes beyond the impacts and the implications go beyond just for ourselves as human beings. It also has a a role to play in society. He talks about the danger of this power passing into the hands of those public authorities who care little for the precepts of the moral law. you know, so yeah. positive or human law, is supposed to be the practical application of the uh, the natural moral law in with with written into the laws of culture and society, but we see institutions like Planned Parenthood, which obviously started before the '60s, but I mean how it exploded after contraception became um, came mainstream in our culture, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and more recently the HHS mandate. And we see things like euthanasia and assisted suicide. He said, wait a minute, what's I got to do with contraception? Because when you separate, as you so beautifully just articulated, Ken, the separation of love and life and not seeing God in the other person uh, and the person becomes an object, then euthanasia. Well, OK, you're old and you- or you're sick and you no longer have any worth now because you're not strong and healthy. Your dignity lies in, in what able your, how you're able to physically function and produce in, within society. If you're no longer able to do that, you know what? You're a burden on society. You're a burden mm-hmm. on the healthcare system. You're a burden on your family. So we'll kill you, which is what the, yeah. state, the state decides that uh, euthanasia or assisted suicide. We'll give you medication to kill yourself. So you don't even yeah. see God within yourself anymore. There's no hope there. And so, uh, and so you'll just, just end it. You know, because, again, I am the I am the arbiter of my own existence, not God. I am a law unto myself. I don't have to align myself with the laws of God, which is what these things are saying.
1: Well, and it cuts back also to this idea of pleasure. I am no longer taking pleasure in being alive. Therefore, I no longer want to be alive, you know, Uh, or. Or the state can impose that because, again, the, the it becomes the common good gets subverted into total happiness, you know, the total amount of happiness, utilitarianism at its finest.
0: Exactly right. And we also see that, obviously, in the redef, def, redefinition, so-called redefinition of marriage and this whole transgenderism, uh, which is happening in our culture today as well. So all of these things uh, I, I think it could, are important um, that, have flow, that have flowed out of this contraceptive mentality. The Pope said, would happen um, if we went down this road? Um, and and yeah. he asked some questions. Who will prevent public authorities from favoring those contraceptive methods when they, which they consider more effective? Should they regard this as necessary, they may be imposed their use on everyone. You know and we I mean, see this certainly see the, in China, the one-child policy, the AJ just mandate, and and, yeah. all, and all these other things, you know. So, uh, absolutely. So, again, this this is the prophetic element uh, that we're talking about here um, that 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 Paul the said would happen if we chose ourselves and our own laws over the laws of God.
1: And this is where what he gets to, he says, there are certain limits. We must accept that there are certain limits beyond which it is wrong to go to the power of man over his own body and its natural functions. These limits are expressly imposed because of the reverence due to the whole human organism and its natural functions. So again, last week we talked about lawful recourse to the cycles that are built into the human nature, which God, the creator put there. It is perfectly acceptable to work within those limits, within within that design. But beyond that, to impose our own arbitrary will and tools that we create, beyond that, we are um, violating what's called the principle of totality, which uh, was first uh, talked about by Pope Pius XII, uh, which recognizes the holistic nature of sexuality as unitive and procreative. This is the principle of totality. Together, unitive and procreative is the meaning of human sexuality, not just unitive, not just procreative. So in other words, it's equally wrong to say, well, let's just create babies in a test tube. That's purely procreative and not unitive. It's equally wrong to say, well, um, we're going to use a barrier method, we're going to use hormonal contraception so that we can physically participate in love, but we're not going to procreate. It, when you separate those two, it is an arbitrary act that is um, beyond the limits of man's power, as Paul has said.
0: That's true. And, and I, I think we also need to acknowledge the fact that we are living in a godless society now. We've replaced the God of the universe with ourselves, you know, and, and yeah. so that I think what that does, not only within ourselves, but within the culture, it creates a void and a chasm that we need to fill because emptiness is something that we don't like within the human experience and within our culture. And So just like we fill ourselves with things to try and close that gap of emptiness within ourselves, uh, the culture is trying to do the same thing replacing Mm -hmm. these things with with the self and we'll never get there can as long as we continue to do this that's why catholics need to be a powerful witness to this culture of how life can be when it's lived from the heart of god so to bring god back into the public discourse to bring uh god back into the public square to bring god back into the schools i mean if we saw each other the way god sees us there won't be any school shootings uh, the craziness yeah. we're seeing in our country with sh- these massive shootings has nothing to do with guns, quite frankly. It has to do with not seeing God within other people because we live in a society that's replaced all that with the self. And so I think yeah. our, I think the powerful witness of Christianity in our culture today could be a way of, and, and living out this beautiful dogma, Paul VI could start to restore some of the things that have been lost.
1: And that is, I love the fact that you're, you're bringing it back to kind of our mission as Christians is to preach the dignity of all human persons and the fullness and the respect for human persons as created in the image and likeness of God. The Holy Father even says that we have to humbly and firmly teach the entire moral law, both natural and evangelical. So we, the moral law is not just, not just a set of written prescriptions, but it's also that natural law in our hearts that says that we are all creatures. We are all equally created with, with human dignity in the image and likeness of God. And as you so wonderfully put there, when we devalue the other human and we treat them as merely means to an end for ourselves, how can that person help me? Or how can that person, why is that person in my way against what I want? Then Once we've devalued them, then they are simply something, again, in our way or something to be used. And that is to not recognize their inherent human dignity as well.
0: And we have to be careful because this could also happen in marriage, within marriage itself. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and you think, well, because we're in a covenant now and or or we're in this marriage, validly marriage that we whatever, whatever, everything goes, you know, it doesn't matter because we're married. You know, right. like, ooh, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, hold on. <laughs> There's still yeah. this beautiful inherent dignity uh, within that within that relationship of love and life and interspersing intimacy, intimacy and communion, and it doesn't mean that you can still use the other person as an object because you're married to them.
1: Right. That is so important, also, because that's. Uh, I mean, another reason why marriages break up, right, is that you don't you don't value your spouse as um, a partner. As a means of sanctification for yourself, and as somebody whom you are meant to sanctify through your love and acts of charity and attention and devotion, these are we are in this together. The two shall become one. Is not just a mention. Is not just a way to explain, you know, human sexuality. But the two become one in will and heart and mind as well. So, what is what are
0: some Practical things, you think that not just married couples, but everyone can do, to better ingrain this beautiful section of this document into their lives every day. I remember when <laughs> when I was first ordained, you know, and um, we reread Muller's Dignitatem in graduate school and mm-hmm. um and and the, studying theology of the body and just going like oh man just falling in love even more deeply with the teachings of the church especially the way the church views women you know and i thought you know when i get ordained i want to go out and And uh, talk with prostitutes, you know, you know, bring them back to the hotel and just sit there with them and just talk about Genesis chapter one and two and and, and summarize the theology of the body for them and just spend that evening you know, um, just talking about how the beauty of their own dignity, uh, by the way, if the archbishop looks like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and, I, and I've not done that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, But I was just thinking, how can, how, what's a, a, a great way to be able to do that? But then I thought, you know, maybe it, the better way of doing that is just living this out in my own married life as, mm-hmm. a, as a father, witnessing to that beauty and truth to my children, you yeah. know, and the way that I treat my wife and the way we talk about Um, human sexuality, the way we we teach our kids, you know, and pass the beauty of the truth onto them, predominantly by our own lived experience, but also giving them uh, both uh, an example in our own marriage, but also by our teaching that what the church teaches is true and good and beautiful. And again, not overcoming that physical urges that we all have, you know, God has given us these physical desires and recognizing that not acting on those desires are okay, you know, we're not animals. You know, we don't just go around with whatever thing we see and just procreate with it. You know, I mean, there's a we're we're created in the image and likeness of God, and so I think recognizing that in each other and, and practical ways of doing that, I think will kind of give flesh to this beautiful teaching.
1: For me, what I think of often is a concept called custody of the eyes. It's this idea that when we see. Uh, that, that we actually protect even what we, the inputs that we take into our own minds and hearts. And so it's not, um, you know, obviously avoiding things like pornography, but even scantily clad, you know, movies that are that are titillating movies that are scandalous um, and television shows, you know, I mean, there are our television is full of shows that use sexuality to lure us and they're luring us. To watch their commercials is what they're doing. But at the same time, while while we're watching television shows that that are using sexuality to gather our attention, those are not healthy for our hearts. Those are not healthy for viewing another person as more than just something to be ogled. You know, this is something that I think about a lot. You know, I, I mean I work on a college campus and students and and you know tend to you know, especially when it's warm out, you know, they might wear bathing suits or whatever to class. You know, I have to be very careful to maintain custody of the eyes, you know, and to, you know, look at students at eye level, you know, uh, and these sorts of practical things are vital to be able to um, not reduce somebody to just an act, you know, something attractive that we begin to think of and then fantasize about. That's one thing that I think about that we can do every day is just be more and more careful of even what we look at. And again, the inputs that we take in.
0: Yeah. You know, there are things on television now that um, would would have been considered pornographic back when we were growing up. You know, I mean, things that you see on just regular television, forget the cable, the regular Mm -hmm. television that you would never even imagine. Uh, seeing back in the day, but and, and some people say, "Well, see, we're just progressing. You're just being progressing where, Pro- progressing closer to the pits of hell." Is what, what they are progressing yeah, toward. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're not progressing yeah. toward sanctity, toward holiness, toward respect for the other person. Right. Um, you know, we're, we're 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 going down this path again, predicted by Paul the Sixty Humani Vite, um, that's leading us to a place of darkness. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it's, that, it's that darkness that needs to be exposed by the light and the beauty of truth and, and these wonderful teachings that we need to be witnesses, examples for. And quite frankly, I mean, a, a lot of folks growing up during that time, you know, didn't receive sound catechesis and teaching. So when someone comes to me and says, well, most, con- most Catholics are contracepting, you know, most people you're talking to, and you're preaching to, they're using contraception and stuff. Like that. So, oh, so they're saying, well, the majority opinion counts. The truth doesn't right. matter if everybody thinks a certain thing that we should also believe it. Okay, well let's go back to slavery then. What if everybody believed that right. people should be that we should have slavery? Is that, that okay then? Because everybody thinks that, or or is there a, a, a deeper truth that needs to be considered? And and I think we're back there again intellectually and spiritually in our nation and in our world, quite frankly, because we're seeing the proliferation, the spread of this. You know, uh, traditionally Catholic countries have been falling like dominoes all around the world. Caving mm-hmm. into abortion and caving into the re, so-called redefinition of marriage and caving into transgenderism. You know, I was at a place recently uh, at a university where uh, they gave me a name tag and on the back of the, I looked on the back of the name tag because I thought it had a schedule for the events and on the back of the name tag, it didn't have a schedule. It said, our identity is important. Please write on your, uh, on the front of your thing, what gender pronoun you wish to be called. And I mm-hmm. said, What? So I just took the damn thing out and threw it away. <laughs> I said, I said yeah. "That's, that's yeah. insanity." I was, I was insulted actually. What, what, gender, Look at me! I'm a man, for goodness' sake! You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm not playing your stupid games. I'm playing into this whole gender confusion thing. You know, I'm not doing that. And just, and I was insulted. They would even ask me, you know, what gender do I think? I mean, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, we yeah. it's, 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 it's we got to the point now where we're trying to be so politically correct. That we've turned so far away from the truth that we're getting into, as Paul Paul says, we're getting into nonsense, uh, and that's where we are today.
1: Yeah, it's uh, ours is such a difficult age because what we again to be created in the image and likeness of God, like we chatted about for so many weeks when we read together Moulier's Dignitatem. There is an authentic. Christian anthropology. What does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God, male and female? I mean the church says that this is what God has created into our hearts. And if we're confused if we're if we feel something's wrong, well that's that's something to deal with. It's something to um, seek help for. It's not something to say, well, I don't feel that's right, therefore you need to respect me in my confusion. That's not helping. that's actually just enabling uh confusion is what it is and and we are created in the image and likeness of God uh, as male and female. and this is um what it means to be truly um, yeah to to reflect a true Christian anthropology and uh, so yeah, it's ours is a confused, confused age, but that does not mean that that we as Christians need to. Uh, accommodate ourselves to the age, but rather to remember that you know, this world is passing away. You know, uh, Paul the Sixth quotes this later in this document. We'll get to it uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, but he he reminds us that this is a veil of tears that we're in, but we can take great hope and comfort in the fact that this world is passing away. The new creation has already begun in Christ, in the in Christ's incarnation. And so we are in the process of, of being converted ourselves to the truth, to recognize the truth about being created in the image and likeness of God. And that's what we need to keep our, our minds on and to act in accordance with that.
0: Yeah, and the the principle is we love everyone, right? And we always don't love their actions, and we judge actions, we never judge people. So we do need to be sensitive to uh, that people are struggling, that people are confused, and we need to uh, walk with them and uh, and accompany Mm -hmm. them toward the fullness of truth. We shouldn't be afraid to, again, meet people where they are and walk with them and, and listen to them and dialogue with them and love them and love them into truth. You know, not to not to empower them in their confusion, but to lead them to the beauty of truth in which they will truly discover everything that God wants them to be.
1: And, And it begins at home, right? It begins by being holy ourselves and by recognizing that we are redeemed. We are sinners who are in constant need of God's mercy and to avail ourselves of the sacraments. And so when we come back together next week, because believe it or not, Deacon, we've run out of time again. Uh, uh, yeah. When we when we come back together uh, next week and over the next few weeks, we'll talk about some of these helps that uh, that Pope Paul VI has uh, kind of called our attention to that we might live this teaching on human sexuality uh, more completely and more fully in our lives. But until then, um, for folks. You can uh, download all the previous episodes of this conversation and all of the other conversations, including our wonderful multi-part series on Mulieris Dignitatem. You can get all of those by going to moderderderadio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I-R-A-D-I-O.com. You can also visit us at livingstonesmedia.org. If you're on Twitter, you can go to Catholic Stones. And on Facebook, we are Living Stones. Until we gather next week, Deacon. Might we have your blessing?
0: Sure. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones.
0: You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio